This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. First John, first epistle of John, chapter 4. And just reading one verse, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Last Sunday morning, we shared a message called The Power That Is Within You. And we used an illustration right at the beginning of a submarine. And how that a submarine underneath the sea comes under immense pressure against its hull. Because it has a cavity hull, and inside that cavity there's water or air or a mixture of both that nullifies the effect of the pressure on the outside. So the pressure on the inside actually nullifies the immense pressures that come against it on the outside. And we said the spiritual analogy is that in life, generally speaking, all kinds of pressures come against us. And how we overcome those pressures is because there's a greater power inside us to overcome the pressures from the outside. And we talked about that power that is within us. And last week we said it was two things. It was the power of the Holy Spirit and it was the power of the Word of God. So as long as we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God in us, then we are able for any pressures that come against us from the outside. Not making light of those pressures because sometimes they are horrendous. What some people have to face in life. But if we have the Holy Spirit in us and the Word of God in us, then we can and we will overcome those pressures of life. Now, I want to continue that theme this morning by speaking about another power of God that is within us, that God has equipped each and every one of us with. He has endowed us with this power. In fact, this power that God has given to us is absolutely indispensable to our Christian life. We cannot live as believers without this power. In fact, without this power, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that it is impossible to please God unless we have this. And I am, of course, talking about faith. Faith, without it, it is impossible to please God. What is faith? What are its qualities? How does it work? Is it definable? Is it observable? Well, it must be observable because whenever those four men who brought their friend along for Jesus to be healed when they tore up the roof, it says Jesus saw their faith. So it was something that could be seen in their actions, in their deeds. So let's begin, first of all, this morning with a definition of faith. Now, I'm going to give 
several comments and definitions about faith. And those of you who are taking notes for the Tuesday night home groups, you don't have to write all these down. In fact, unless you were good at shorthand, you probably couldn't anyway. So you can just say on Tuesday night, uh, Pastor gave some definitions of faith. You might want to write one or two down, but mostly you'll not get them. First of all, the most common word used in the New Testament for faith is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. And this word has got different flavors of meanings, different shades of meanings. For instance, assurance, belief, confidence, trust, conviction, etc., etc. And so the man or woman with conviction is in a very powerful position. A conviction is more than an opinion. There's lots of opinions. Everybody and their dog has got opinions. But if you have a conviction, it'll set you apart. The people who get things done in life are people with convictions, not just opinions. Anybody can have an opinion. But a conviction moves you. So a man or woman with a conviction is never at the mercy of a man or woman with just an opinion. This church here in Moira is not here today because a lot of people had opinions and still do. It's here because a few of us had a conviction. And that conviction caused us to raise up this church. Lots of people came at the beginning with lots of convictions about it and about us and all the rest of it. And we were very patient, listened to it all. But inside we had a conviction. I remember standing in that door one Saturday night. Way, this is the first, I mean I'm talking within the first six months. And it was a Saturday night. We didn't even have Sundays at that point. It was a Saturday night. And I stood at the back of the church and after the service was over, there was only maybe a dozen people here. And two elderly men, brothers in Christ, came to me. And as they came to me, I thought, in my naivety, I thought, they're going to encourage me. Well, they didn't encourage. And they shook my hand. They said, son, it'll never work. (laughs) That's some encouragement, isn't it? You're only starting out. Son, it'll never work. Never forget that. I never forget what I said to them. I don't know whether it was bravado or whether it was the Spirit of God rose up in me or whether it was my flesh. I don't know what it was. I remember standing, pointing right at them and saying, just you watch it work. <laughs> just you watch it work. And here we are, 35 years later, it's still working. <laughs> yes, it could be better. Yes, it could be all this thing. Yes, I mean, we could make improve. Yes, all of that. But it's still working. Why? Because we had a conviction. We believed. Now, we were happy where we were. We were in a church that was moving and all kinds of things were happening. Clifford and Evelyn was there. We were happy where we were, but we had a conviction. Remember the people in our other church used to feel sorry for us coming down to Moira. Do you know that before we opened this building, if you had asked me, where is Moira in Northern Ireland? I couldn't have told you. I was never in it in my life. I was never in Lurgan before I came to Moira. I know you find that hard to believe. But when you live where we lived, I mean, this was... It was way off the radar. It was way off the map. I had never any reason to be here. But we had a conviction that this was God, that this was right. So faith is trust or confidence cherished by a firm conviction. Pistis. 
Trust or confidence confirmed, cherished by a firm conviction. Kremer said that faith is more than intellectual assent. It is moral commitment. It is a personal surrender of one's will to God's will. Without the element of submission, there is no real faith. There is no such thing as trust without obedience. That's good, isn't it? There is no such thing as trust without obedience. Ralph Earl says that faith is actually the reaction of one's whole being, intellectual, moral, emotional, spiritual, to God and his word. And then he puts this, and I think this is great. He said, it is belief of the mind, submission of the heart, and obedience of the will. I should repeat that. It is belief of the mind, submission of the heart, obedience of the will. Faith is best thought of as the total response of the human personality to the divine command. So faith involves trust, dependency, reliance upon God, reliance upon his word. W. Vine, the great uh, Greek scholar, said that the main elements in faith is it its relation to the invisible God as distinct from faith and man are a firm conviction producing a full acknowledgement of God's revelation of truth and secondly, a personal surrender to him. Now, if you're listening closely, you'll have noticed something important about all these definitions. It's reliance upon God. It's a surrender to him. It's submission of our hearts. The bedrock of our faith is our relationship to God. That's it in a nutshell. The very heart of our faith is our relationship to God. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in God. It's not faith in an object. It's faith in a person. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look at Romans, Romans chapter 4 just for a second. Speaking of Abraham, verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And being not weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. In verse 3 actually of Romans 4. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Notice the many times there it says about Abraham believing God. You see, that was where his faith was. It wasn't the promise. The promise gave him the opportunity to use his faith. But the object of his faith was God himself. 
Now that is important for us to remember because we have got to make our focus. And what's our focus going to be? It's going to be on God himself. Sarah was the same in Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 11, it says about Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now that's important. She judged him faithful who had promised. What made the promise real to her was the one who made the promise. The promise was the opportunity to extend her faith, but the object of her faith was God himself. In Matthew 14, is the story of Peter walking on the water. The object of his faith was Christ. Now he was frightened. All those fishermen tales in the storms of ghosts appearing of former fishermen he had drowned, all that superstitious nonsense all rose up within them and they were frightened. Especially when they saw this ghostly figure as they thought coming on the water. But then Peter says, Lord, if it is you. And so that was the object of his faith, the Lord. He wasn't quite sure. It looked like him, but he wasn't so sure. So he says, Lord, if it is you. So that's where his heart was. That's what he was concentrating on. That's what he was thinking about. Lord, if this is really you. And then the opportunity for his faith came. He says, if it's really you, bid me come to you in the water. And Jesus says, come. And that gave him opportunity for his faith to work. And he stepped out over the side of the boat and he walked on the water. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said, how do you strengthen your faith? Not by striving after it, but by resting on the faithful one. I think all of this, and especially from time to time, there's moments when we struggle with our faith. I'm not believing that does God exist. We're long since past that. But we struggle with certain issues regarding our faith. And I think in those times, we need to stop focusing on our faith and focusing on the one who gives us the faith. Focusing on the Lord himself. Making him the object of our faith. And then the opportunity for our faith will come. But he's the object of our faith. Man generally has his own faith. Faith in himself. Faith in his feelings. Faith in his senses. The Apostle Paul says that not everyone has got the faith of God. Not everyone has got faith in God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, he makes that very clear. Not all have faith. But he also makes it very clear in Romans 12, 3, that God has given to every one of us, the believer, the measure of faith. So when he says that God has given every one of us the measure 
of faith. He's talking about the faith that God has got himself. This is not natural faith. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the faith that God himself has got. In, in Mark chapter 11, in that particular chapter, Jesus gave a great demonstration of his power. And the disciples were amazed. And Jesus said to them, have faith in God. And the literal translation is have the faith of God. Have the God kind of faith. Have the same kind of faith that God has got. Now, when we say that, we're talking about quality, not quantity. Because none of us could speak the universe into existence. Obviously. So he's talking about quality. The same type of quality of faith that God has got. That's what he's talking about. And he goes on to say even about moving mountains. Great obstacles in our lives. That our faith can move those obstacles. But that's the type of faith that God has got. So Paul says that not everyone has got that faith. But every believer's got that faith. There's a measure of it that belongs to us. Do you remember the Roman centurion who came to Jesus about his servant? And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He says, you don't need to do that. I understand authority. I give orders because all of Rome will back me up. And if I say to my servant, do this, he does it. Go there, he goes there. Come here, he comes here. So he says, I know that all you have got to do is just say the word. And Jesus marveled, the Bible says. He marveled. I have not found such great faith, no, not in Israel. Even including his disciples didn't quite grasp this. But here's a pagan man who understood authority. Jesus marveled at that. And then the little woman who came who said, my daughter has got a demon. She's grievously tormented. Do you remember how Jesus tested her? And he kept saying things to, as it were, test her that would have put her off. Well, he says, heating's the children's bread and, and I can't give it on to dogs. But she says, even the little puppies that sit underneath the master's table, they get the crumbs. Old woman, he says, great is your faith. And so there's a measure of faith that's not normal, that's not natural. It's the Hebrews 11 kind of faith. The kind of faith that moves mountains, subdue kingdoms, stops the mouth of lions, quench fiery darts, obtains promises. And every single one of us here today has got the measure of that faith in our hearts. It's there. And that's what helps us to live this Christian life and believe God and trust Him in the hard times and believe Him. With this faith we are saved. Ephesians 2 and 8. With this faith we are justified. Romans 3.28. With this faith we are made righteous. Romans 3.22. With this faith we overcome the world. 1 John 5 and 4. Hmm? With this faith we please God. Hebrews 11 and 6. 
With this faith, we live by faith. Galatians 2.20. Paul said, the, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5.7. We do not walk by sight, we walk by faith. We do not go by what we can see, we go by what we know in the word of God and in Christ. So here is a power that is within you. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God, and the power of faith. So, let's look at what faith, biblical faith, isn't. What it's not. It's not merely mental assent. It's not head knowledge. James 2.19, James says, you believe there's one God, good he says. But he says, even the devils believe that and they tremble. So it's not, you know, whenever we say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just saying, well, I believe he existed. Well, look up the history books. You can see that. It's more than that, isn't it? And so James says, you believe there's one God? That's fine, he says, but the devils believe that too. Actually, they believe it more than you do because they tremble at the thought of it. W.J. Persker said, faith is more than thinking something is right. Faith is thinking something is right to the extent that you act upon it. That's the difference between opinion and conviction, isn't it? Opinion can say, I believe that's right. Conviction says, I believe that's right, so I'll act upon it. It is not natural faith. It's not sense knowledge. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 just again for one moment. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtain a good testimony. But note this verse. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now that verse there, that there flies in the face of all of the evolutionary teaching there is today, of almost all of the cosmology that's taught today, that verse flies in the very face of it. I read the other day where the latest thing they're saying now is that they can trace the beginning of the universe 14 and a half billion years back, right back to the one trillionth, trillionth, trillionth of the first second after the Big Bang. And everybody's wowed with that. And I'm thinking, I tell you what would impress me more, if you could trace the one millionth, millionth, millionth of a second before the Big Bang, if you could tell me what happened there, I'd be more impressed. And of course, it's all guesswork. They have no idea. Because that type of science is historical science. It can't be tested. It can't be observed. So in a sense, it's a belief system, isn't it? They have to believe that because they can't prove it because nobody was ever there. So they extrapolate back in computers 
to find all these things, but it's just a big guess. And you can guarantee it'll be changed next year or two years or five. It'll all be changed because they've been constantly changing it because they don't know. You say, well, what about us? Well, however God created it, we weren't there either. We didn't observe it. But we believe the one who was there. We believe the one who had first-hand knowledge because we believe the one who created it. And you come right down to two belief systems. You believe that other stuff or you believe what God says. And we chose to believe what God says. And right there in that verse tells us we understand by faith, we understand that the world, not by what we have observed because none of us is there, we understand by faith the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We believe that God created this world out of nothing. Evolutionists believe that nothing created this world out of nothing. That, that's, you'd need to be a great belief for that, wouldn't you? I mean, that really would test your faith there, wouldn't it? So we have a foundation for what we believe. And it never changes. And it's never going to change. So even though science is continually changing, continually changing, continually new theories coming out, let it all come out. Let it all go. The word of God's not going to change. So we believe the one who made this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. End of. Of all your theories, of all of that, but you've got to come down to what am I going to believe? because none of us is there. So I'm going to believe God who created the world and everything that's in it. And you see, that's what faith does. It allows us to believe that and to be comfortable in that and to trust that in the face of all the stuff that's against that. So it's not just natural faith. It's not just sense knowledge. And it's not faith in oneself it's faith in God. Again, Galatians 2.20, Paul makes that clear. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what is the source of this faith that God has given us? Well, first of all, it's the living word. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, our relationship with the living word. Christ himself gives us faith. He's the object of our faith. He's the one that we trust. And then, of course, is the written word. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so whenever we are in right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and we're reading the word of God, faith will grow in our lives. Faith will be resident. Faith will be there. 
and it will get us through and it'll help us overcome and it'll give us trust and belief and conviction and confidence and all of these things that come out of faith. God has given us this. We have Christ, the living word. We have the Bible, the written word. And whenever we are in relationship with the living word and we read the written word, then faith grows in our lives. We're almost finished. There's three sides of faith. There's the intellectual side. Now, I'm not talking about academia here. You're glad for that, aren't you? The intellectual side. You can have knowledge without faith, but you can't have faith without knowledge. Our faith is not blind faith. It's based on someone and it's based on something. So it's not blind faith. It's based on someone. That's what I've been telling you all morning. Our faith is based on him. And it's based on something. What we know through God's word. Not what we know through what we have seen, but what we know through God's word. Not what we know because of what we sense, but because of God's word. So faith is knowing someone and knowing something. It's knowing God and knowing his word. Then there is the emotional side. This is the heart responding to truth. Now faith is not feeling, but faith does be accompanied with feelings. Many, many times when faith rises up in your heart, there's a feeling comes with that. There's a feeling of confidence. There's a feeling God's with me in this. There's a feeling I'm going to get through this. There's a feeling I can overcome this. There's a feeling comes with that. But faith is not the feeling. The feeling just comes on the heels of faith. So we're not putting our trust in feelings. We're putting our trust in the faith that God has imparted to us. Whether feelings come or whether they don't come. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But we're trusting God and we're trusting his word. And whenever we do that, then our faith will work. So the order is fact, faith, and then feeling. What's the fact? God and his word. Feeling, you may get it, you may not. But faith is the thing. Then there's a volitional side. This is where the heart and the will commits and trusts God and is moved to act. This is where your heart and your will commit to God. And it moves you to act. When your heart and will commits to God over something, you will be moved to act. Because your faith will operate. And you'll do it. And every single one of you that's listening to me today have operated in faith. You receive Christ by faith. We've never seen him. We've never met him in the flesh. But we believe. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe, Jesus said. All those disciples saw him. They walked with him three years and they ended up all denying him, basically. We've never seen him, but we believe. How is that possible? Because of faith. Because that's in your heart. That's operating. 
And then when you're trusting him to come through something or overcome something, that's your faith rising up inside of you that's based on him and based on his word. And you know you can trust him. You've proven him. Isaiah 28, 16. This lovely verse says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Hmm. Will not panic. Will not act rashly or foolishly. If we're believing in Christ, if we're trusting him with all of our hearts and we believe that his spirit is leading us and guiding us and we know his word, then that will not take the pace out of life, but it'll take the panic out of life. And even if you're to panic just a little bit at the start, your panic will quell and quieten down because you'll say, I'm trusting the Lord. God knows all about this. This hasn't taken him by surprise. He knew the end from the beginning. So I'm going to trust in the one who knows everything. I'm going to trust the one who's capable of doing anything. I'm going to trust the one who can do the impossible. I'm going to put my life and trust into his hands. And when I do that, then I'm not going to panic and worry and fret. I'm going to trust God who knows my life, who created me, who orders my steps. A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. And so today you have got three mighty powers working in you. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God, and the power of faith. That's why you can overcome every and any battle in this life. Whatever the devil your enemy throws at you. God has given you all that you need to overcome that. It's all resident inside you. Yes, there is a shield of faith. Yes, there's a helmet of salvation. Yes, there's all the armor of God. But right residing inside you is these three great powerful things. No wonder you've come through what you've come through. I, look, I said this to other. I look at some of you, and you could get up here and give a testimony. Others would be shocked. They don't even know. But I know what you've come through. All the stuff that life threw at you. And yet you're here today. Why is that? Because of the Spirit of God. Because of the Word of God. And because of faith in your heart. And that's why you'll be here tomorrow. And the next day and the next day. Until Jesus comes. You're going to make it through life. Because He's given you the power to do it. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You will also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal.